hands given this morning. Um, and we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, if you missed last week, we started a mini-series while Pastor Steve is on vacation. He's uh, uh, vacationing in Italy on a yacht. Um, uh, he was invited by some friends of his, uh, some old, old friends, uh, to join them. And uh, so it's been a fantastic time for he and Pam. Three weeks in Italy. Um, I'm not jealous at all. <laughs> On a side note, uh, those of you that have been praying for rain, thanks a whole lot. Um, so Steve will be back actually, uh, I think this Friday, but because of the, the time changes and the jet lag and everything, um, I'll be speaking one more message next week, next Sunday, uh, but Steve will be back for that. Um, and following that week, uh, he'll be launching a new series in Malachi uh, that'll take us right up to Christmas. So um, we're excited for that. Uh, I love it when he does book series like that. Um, so last week we started a mini-series on Psalm 23. Uh, we're doing three weeks on Psalm 23. So we made it through uh, two and a half verses. Um, today uh, we're going to slow that, that crazy pace down a little bit and hit one and a half verses. But um, just to give you a, a quick recap in case you missed it, you can also go to our website and uh, download the message uh, there. Um, in verses one through three, um, we looked at Psalm 23 from a couple of different levels. Uh, there's the obvious God as shepherd um, and the qualities of a shepherd that uh, are um, comparable to God's qualities. Um, and, and most of those are, are surface level observations that we can make. There's also the, the level of David who, who wrote that Psalm um, as a shepherd and having the, the entire context of shepherding and the culture at that time um, present in his writing and how he lived out those qualities that he recognized in God um, and God's call on him as a shepherd for his people. Uh, so we looked at that level. Um, and then kind of the overarching theme, um, I see Psalm 23 a little bit different than, than maybe other people do. I've seen it as a journey. Um, oftentimes shepherds in the ancient, uh, ancient world would, would um, go on a journey to find new pasture for their sheep. And so they would start out in um, the, the lowlands near their home where the grass was green. And, and as the season progressed, they would head up to uh, the high pastures uh, to find uh, new greenery for their, their sheep um, and continue their sheep in a uh, healthy cycle of growth. So with that, um, we talked about a few points. Um, I've got them listed up there on the screen. Um, one is uh, recognizing God's authority as shepherd. Um, we need to accept our shepherd, and by extension, his shepherding. Um, and oftentimes we, we take that for granted. We say, oh yeah, we do that but our actions look a lot different. Uh, the second point that we hit was that um, God knows what we need better than we often do. We talked a lot about needs and uh, needs versus wants for us, uh, but then also compared that to maybe what God would say we need um, and, and the differences there, um, knowing that what God wants for us, um, he knows what we need better than we do. Um, third point was that uh, we need to be content with his provision of what we need. And I shared a, an example of uh, my, my broken down car and uh, how 
I perceived that need differently than, than what God did and how, how contentment was such an important parse, part of peace in that. Um, and then lastly, that God allows hardship for our growth and reliance on him alone, um, that, that the struggles and trials that we go through um, aren't necessarily punishment for us, but are there for uh, growth, for us to grow and be molded and shaped to be more like him. So again, you can catch that on the website um, if you want to hear uh, some more of that. Uh, I did talk a little bit about shepherding and sheep, and we'll get into more of that as well today. Um, but would you uh, join me in a word of prayer as we dig into the text here uh, one more time? Father, you know uh, uh, my heart is full of all kinds of uh, contradictions. Um, the, uh, the fear of, of being up front in front of a lot of people um, combined with uh, the pride of my own words. And uh, I just pray this morning, Lord, that you would help me to set that aside and um, uh, not dwell on a spirit of fear, not dwell on a spirit of pride, but instead um, cooperate with your Holy Spirit and what you would uh, speak to us uh, uh, regarding through your word. And uh, Lord, help me to do it justice. Help me to have your words and not my own. Uh, we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Um, wine minor aside, um, uh, speaking of the terror of being up front, um, uh, 23 years to, uh, ago today, um, I was standing at the front of a church speaking in front of a large group of people and was even more freaked out than I am now. Um, uh, today is my 23rd wedding anniversary. Um, and uh, I don't know if the Merwins are here, but uh, we share an anniversary with them too. So happy anniversary, Merwins. Um, but uh, I don't know if, if, if you see Lisa in the classroom, uh, she's teaching this morning. Um, we dressed completely separate. I, I get here long before she even gets up, um, and we still picked very, very similar clothing. Um, fortunately, we're not one of those couples that have, have started looking alike um, <laughs> for her sake. All right, let's, uh, let's dig into the text. You, you know this well. Um, I'll, I'll read it for us here. Um, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, that's a, a verse or a, a chapter we know well. Um, and as I mentioned before, we've talked uh, last week about uh, verses 1 through 3a, um, and we're going to jump into... Uh, some of the following verses. But um, um, in, in looking at shepherding and sheep in Psalms, um, there are some general ideas about sheep that I think are, are fairly commonly held. Um, and, and these are things that, that I assumed going into a message like this. Um, sheep are dumb, Right? Um, we, we all take that for granted. We all, we all take that as common knowledge. Sheep aren't the smartest. Uh, 
Um, and I have an article to back this up. Um, I found this in the news. Um, and the title is, 450 sheep jump to their deaths in Turkey. First, one sheep jumped to its death. Then stunned Turkish shepherds, who had left the herd to graze while they had breakfast, watched as nearly 1,500 others followed, each leaping off the same cliff. In the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile. Those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and higher. Then the fall more cushioned, the newspaper reported. There's nothing we can do. They're all wasted, a member of one of the 26 families whose sheep were grazing together in the herd was quoted. The estimated loss to families in the town of Jeevas, located in Van province of eastern Turkey, tops $100,000, a significant amount of money for a country where the average annual wage is 2700 Every family had an average of 20 sheep, Axum quoted another villager as saying, but now only a few families have sheep left. It's going to be hard for us. Now, this may not be that surprising to you um, to read a story like that, to hear a story like that, because sheep are dumb. And one jumps off, and uh, the only thing that saved them from losing all 1,500 um, was the fluffiness of their wool coats. Um, some other things that, that we generally recognize as true about sheep um, and, and were present in this article, um, they're unobservant. They can't distinguish danger, what's good, what's bad. Uh, overall, they're helpless, and uh, they're often single-minded or simple-minded, and their focus is mainly on their food, on what their immediate needs are. We talked about needs last week, but this is in general, how we generally view sheep. And it's not a stretch for us to say, well, yeah, i got to compare people to sheep in the Bible because sheep are dumb, and let's face it, there's a lot of dumb people too, myself included. Um, but as I was digging into this message, um, some things kept popping up, um, some things that, that contradicted this. Uh, and, and this actually was a recent article that I wasn't even looking for and found in the news um, the other day. And let me read this. It's titled, Sheep are Far Smarter Than We Thought. There is often, um, I'm sorry, they are, they are often considered to be an animal so apparently dim-witted that they've become a byword for stupidity and mindlessly following the crowd. New research, however, reveals that sheep are far more intelligent than they've been given credit for. Scientists at the University of Cambridge have found that, cre- that the creatures had the brain power equal to rodents, monkeys, and in some tests, even humans. The results suggest that sheep have relatively advanced learning capabilities, are adaptable, and can map out their surroundings mentally, and may even be able to plan ahead. Uh, and there's a quote, so we can probably classify sheep as being a bit like a slow monkey in terms of intelligence. Professor Morton of Cambridge uh, has also conducted trials to test the spatial memory of sheep and found they're able to navigate by forming memories of their surrounding environments. She's also now conducting tests to see whether sheep are able to plan ahead. Now that seems pretty simple, but in terms of what, is, uh, what the capabilities are for animals in the animal kingdom um, and some of the tests, which they described later on, and I, I won't get into it too much, but it's uh, these maze tests that they would switch their food and... and um, 
really give them kind of a, a big puzzle to solve, they found that sheep were more advanced even than people were in how many tries it took to find the solution to these puzzles. Uh, it says, previous research has also shown that sheep have the ability to recognize faces and to react to different facial expressions. Farmers in West Yorkshire have also reported flocks of sheep with apparent problem-solving skills after the animals found they could overcome cattle grids by rolling on their backs. So along with this article, um, things kept popping up that contradicted the sheep are dumb uh, generalization. And there were two camps. One was, obviously, sheep are dumb. Sheep are silly and foolish and helpless and all of those things. Um, And they tended to be from people like us that had heard that, read that, and continued to propagate that, but didn't have any real experience with sheep. Um, The other camp was people who actually were farmers and shepherds, and they told an entirely different story. Um, And many of them um, pointed out one, their love for sheep, um, but that sheep have very distinctive personalities um, and uh, that they had some amazing qualities. And I'll, I'll go through these here with you because it co- directly contradicts the things that uh, we just generalized about them. Um, sheep are actually quite observant. Um, sheep have an amazing uh, construction of their head and eyes. So... Uh, their head is a little bit elongated, and their eyes sit kind of on the front and sides of their head. And what's weirder is they have a rectangular, uh, horizontally rectangular pupil. And what that does is, in combination with the other eye, it gives them almost a 360-degree view around them. Um, They can almost see directly behind their back because of the placement of their eye and the shape of their pupil. Uh, They are actually quite observant. They're built for observation. Um, And because of that, they're very cognizant of danger. Uh, They can spot predators coming from a long ways away. Um, They do lack any uh, things that we would say are are defensive characteristics or even offensive characteristics. They don't have large talons. They don't have um, scary teeth to defend themselves with. Um, Their teeth are actually kind of depressing. It's it's like a, a... uh, cartilage plate on the top of their mouth that their bottom teeth just kind of mash their food against. Um, so if they were to try and bite you or a predator, they'd really just be gumming you. Um, but in spite of that, they actually do have some uh, defensive abilities. Um, and it comes from the way that God built them to be herd-minded. They have uh, herd instincts. So if there was a predator that came on the scene, uh, the sheep gather in a tight flock and they move constantly within that flock. That is their defensive mechanism. Now you could look at a sheep and, and by itself say, well, it's defenseless, it's dumb, um, it, it, it's helpless. But when you see this in actual practice, it's um, uh, quite good at helping them be um, defend themselves against against predators um, so that there's a constant movement of the, the flock and, and very hard to find one single target. Um, with all that, though, 
um, one thing was, was, is absolutely necessary. And I actually got to talk to somebody in first service who came up afterwards and said, I'm actually a shepherdess. Uh, we raised sheep when, um, when our kids were younger. And so she was telling me about some of the, the characteristics about sheep. And um, she, was, she was describing how needy sheep are. In spite of being um, smart, they still have some pretty profound needs. They need a shepherd to care for them and to watch over them. Um, they've come up with a lot of methods for keeping sheep safe. And this is probably more than you ever cared to know, but someday you might be playing a trivia game and this stuff would come up. But um, they actually make these hard plastic collars uh, that go from the, the base of their neck and jaw all the way to their shoulders um, so that a predator that tries to bite them will only get a mouthful of plastic. Um, Oftentimes they'll take whole herds and plant a llama in the middle of them. And the llama actually acts as a protector, almost like a shepherd, and protects the flock as well. Some crazy stuff. Um, but I think this is a far more accurate view of what sheep are actually like and their qualities. They're not dumb at all. Uh, we just misunderstand their behavior. So you look at an article like 450 sheep jumping to their deaths, um, it's, it's not a lack of intelligence or a lack of observation. It's the way that they were designed with a herd mentality. And, and this is where the, the connection with people comes in, is people aren't really dumb. I mean, we do some dumb stuff, but oftentimes the things that draw us away and draw us into harm and danger tend to be the things that, that we follow the herd on, um, the temptations that come towards us. Um, and it's, it's when we don't have a shepherd to guide us that we can fall, fall victim. Um, I'm going to use this opportunity, and I said I would do this uh, last week, um, to uh, make a commercial plug for our community groups. Um, sheep are relationally minded. They were built that way. Uh, and that they share in common with people, that we're relationally minded. We were built for relationship. Um, if you are sitting out there right now and you feel a little isolated or um, like you don't have connection here, uh, we would encourage you to participate in our community groups. Uh, we have a lot of different groups, uh, a wide variety. Uh, right now I think we have at least 12 open groups. Um, and I would encourage you, be part of the flock. Get together with people. Um, Steve is a great speaker. I'm not so much, but I will tell you, even, even with, with Steve being a great speaker, you're going to get far more out of um, watching and seeing God work in somebody else's life and understanding more about him from your relationships than you will from a sermon. Um, it's living life. It's living out those, those relationships and, and the life that God has for you. So I would encourage you to get into community groups. Now, um, we were talking about this at Men's Retreat last night. Um, and, and I was talking to a gentleman who isn't part of a group and has had a really hard time finding a group because he'll go on the website and look at the different options and it's really daunting because and I, don't know, I don't know any of these people. I don't know which group to join. And, um, you know, in cases like that, you're welcome to call the church office and, and we can help you out. Um, but he's like, you know, even if I joined one, there's people that are already established. Uh, they already have established relationships and I'm kind of jumping in later. Um, now most of that's fine 
but if that's something that's hindering you from getting in a community group, my encouragement to him and my encouragement to you too, start a group. Find some people around you that, that you enjoy, that, that you'd be interested in getting to know better, and start your own group. Uh, that's a perfectly, perfectly acceptable way of getting into community. So that is my plug for community groups. Second part, uh, if you are not part of a herd, you're not part of God's flock. You don't know kind of where you stand with your relationship with God. Um, maybe you've just got questions and you don't know the answers to them. You don't even know if you want to follow God. Um, we've got something for you as well. Uh, we have Alpha starting on September 30th, and it's a great program where we, can, uh, we, we gather together with like-minded people that are questioning as well, have a meal together, and, and talk through some of those things that, that, um, that we struggle with, um, uh, particularly when you're not connected. So um, those are my two plugs, um, my commercial break. Here we go. Back to Scripture. All right, so we're going to dig right into uh, the Scripture that we've got. Like I said, we're getting through one and a half verses today. So the second half of three uh, that we didn't get to last week says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, I told you before, one of the things that we're looking at with uh, this analogy of, of shepherding and uh, sheep within Psalm 23 is this idea of, of, of a journey. Um, we're, we're, we're the sheep. We're going on a journey with God to grow us, to take us to a higher place. Um, and as such, there's different paths and divergent paths that we can take. Um, the first one listed in 3B is a path of righteousness. Um, and we'll kind of dig into this a, a little bit word by word. So um, the first part here, he leads me. Oh, oh, there we go. There we go. That's what I wanted. He leads me. Um, in shepherding, there's two different approaches to getting sheep from one place to another. One is one that they, they typically use in eastern countries or in the ancient world where they lead their sheep. The shepherds would know the sheep intimately. The sheep would be able to respond to various calls that the shepherd would make, and they would follow the shepherd. Um, in more modern times, especially in the U.S., we drive sheep. We push the sheep forward. We use animals, sometimes even uh, motorized vehicles, to push the sheep, to, to get them to go where we want them to go. Uh, these pictures are from uh, Margaret Smith, our receptionist. Uh, she was in Switzerland uh, not that long ago and brought these back. Uh, the gentleman in front there with the bag is the shepherd. Not exactly what you'd expect from a shepherd. You'd expect some robes and a cane. But no, he's carrying a bag of food, which uh, I tried to see with the label. It looked like Panera or, or KFC or something. But um, it might actually be she uh, sheep food. Um, but they, Margaret said they, they were following him everywhere he went. They were intent upon their shepherd. And I, I, I find it very interesting. There's a, a huge difference between leading and driving in terms of motivation. When you have a shepherd leading, um, you're motivated to follow of your own accord. When you're being driven, you have no choice. And you're being pushed ahead um, at the risk of some serious consequences. Uh, the woman that I spoke with that, uh, in first service that was sharing about shepherding, she said um, that that is so true. Um, I shared last week that 
uh, sheep don't really like agitated water. Um, and for a lot of them, they don't like anything that has to do with water. And she said her sheep would often get hoof rot just from being on moist ground constantly. And so they had this, this chemical bath that they had to get the sheep to walk through. So it was nearly impossible to force a sheep to do that. Um, so they built these barriers uh, that would go over the trough. And she said, you could do all the pushing you wanted. And she said, these old ewes, they weren't going to have any of it. There was no way an adult person could push a sheep into what they wanted it to do. But she said, if you went around the other side and went around the foot bath and uh, had the sheep facing you, she said, you could gently grab its head and lead it through the water. She said, it was amazing the difference that leading had versus driving. Now, we're talking about leading through paths of righteousness for his namesake. Uh, when I define righteousness, especially for kids, just to keep it simple, righteousness, I consider right choices according to God. These are our decisions that we have to make with right choices. Um, and you'll know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, uh, the image of this um, uh, was brought to mind. You know this verse very well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths or he will direct your paths. When it talks about paths of righteousness, there's that element of trust, of trusting God to lead you through the right paths. And so when we look at him leading in paths of righteousness, it's taking us down a pathway of right choices that we can make. Now, I don't always do this. I don't always make those right choices and follow that path of righteousness. Um, I can be very willful, and I, I oftentimes will try and, and make my own pathway. And uh, it, was, it was brought to mind, actually, even this morning. Um, uh, I, t- I shared a little bit about our dog last week. So I thought, for equal time, I really need to talk about the cat. Um, <laughs> so when I get up in the morning, um, especially if it's dark, the, the kids are all in bed, um, our cat is annoying. I'm not a cat person. Um, it, it does some crazy things. Uh, it knows that I'm usually headed down towards the laundry room uh, first thing in the morning. And um, he'll, he'll, instead of going and meeting me there, knowing where he wants to go, which is also where we keep his food, knowing where he wants to go, he doesn't, he doesn't plan out what he's doing. He doesn't follow behind me. Instead, he kind of comes around and, and he darts at me from the side constantly, getting under your feet. You know this happens, but it's never a direct route. He's constantly in your way coming at you from the side. And it just, sometimes I just, "Mm." no, it's okay. Um, And I was reminded this morning as I was getting frustrated with the cat um, and and how I constantly have to stumble and step and to get around him. um, it, It just occurred to me with this message like, oh, that's a fantastic illustration of how I kind of follow God. Overall, I might be heading in, in a similar direction, but I constantly want to do it my own way and come at it from the side. And, and how often, I think, when God looks at that situation, does he see me being more of a hindrance in getting under his feet than I am actually accomplish anything with him? Who knew that uh, the cat would be a spiritual illustration. Um, God knows the way that's best, and he knows the way that's best for the season, and he knows the way that's best for the destination. 
as our shepherd, we let him lead and we follow. Um, I think of uh, the Bible characters that it, it mentions, uh, David and Abraham and, and Noah, where their path of righteousness wasn't just right choices. Uh, those guys, as, as I do, made some really wrong choices, but God still counted them as righteous because of their faith. Uh, and there's a trust element to leading in paths of righteousness that is absolutely necessary and borne out in Scripture that, that God desires that faith from us and will count it to us as righteousness even when we're not righteous on our own. Sorry, I think I meant to go to that. And then we get to righteousness for his namesake. And oftentimes in my head, I, I, I just kind of boil it down to the meat of the verse. He leads me in paths of righteousness, and I forget the rest. Um, it's like when we pray and say, in Jesus' name, and, and it's, it, it's not meaningful in any way to us. It's just habit that we say. Um, but I want to focus on his namesake for a second. Uh, I was reading through a, uh, another pastor's blog um, that, that's really got a great perspective on things, uh, and I wanted to share what they wrote, to, uh, wrote about for his namesake, because I think it's really revealing in the way that they uh, approach it. And it says this, Over and over in Scripture, we keep reading, For his namesake. It sounds like God does things to keep his name looking good, and just for the sake of his name, so that no one will think badly of his name. In other words, it looks like he doesn't want his name sullied. It's sort of like when parents tell their children, when you go out, you represent this house, so behave for our namesake. For his namesake sounds like God is protecting his name, his image. But that's not what it means at all. In the Hebrew, for the sake of means on account of whatever characteristic follows. For example, for mercy's sake means on account of his mercy. For righteousness' sake is on account of his righteousness. His pardon, on account of his pardon. In other words, it's because of what his name is that he leads me in the path of righteousness. Because of what his name is, he withholds his hand of anger. Because of what his name is, he pardons, etc. It's actually an indication of God's very character. Because of his intrinsic qualities, he'll lead us into righteousness. Just to illustrate this story, and if Cindy Gamber is in here, I apologize now. Um, my first year uh, at youth camp was, um, I'm a children's guy. I love elementary kids. Kindergartners are fantastic Junior high and high school, eh, starts to get a little sketchy. <laughs> um, anyway, it was my first year at youth camp, and um, we showed up knowing, eh, this, is, this could be rough, this could be, this could be weird. This, there's always weird stories that come back from there, and this one's no different. Um, they had had some free time, and uh, I, I was sitting at one of the, the picnic tables talking with a group of kids, and there was some kids that had gone on a short hike and, and had come back, and one of them was, was holding his stomach. And uh, I was like, oh, man, what, what, what's going on? Are you okay? 
um, thinking maybe he got overexhausted, um, you know, maybe he hurt himself in some way. Uh, he said, oh, my stomach really hurts. I, uh, I probably shouldn't eat those berries. And he holds out his hand, and there's berries that I don't recognize. Um, what are you thinking? Why in the world? Hasn't anybody ever told you not to eat berries you find and you don't know what they are? Well, yeah. Why in the world would you eat berries you found? And his response was, I'm Evan. Evan Gamble. <laughs> if you know Evan, he's, he's rather impulsive. And um, that was his explanation. I'm Evan. That's who I am. I do impulsive weird things. That was all the explanation. Now, he survived, in case you're wondering. Um, but, but I thought that that was, that was a, a funny way of, of illustrating this. God is the same way. His, his, his name is so closely associated with his character that because of who he is, he leads us in paths of righteousness. Because of his name, the meaning of his name, he leads us in paths of righteousness. Not, not because he's trying to guard his image or anything like that. Now, I mentioned this, the, that there's two types of, of paths we travel. Uh, paths of righteousness is one of them. The other is um, valleys that are fraught with peril. And I just goofed up my slides. So I will go back to where I know I'm at. Um, paths of righteousness and valleys fraught with peril. So in this, in this illustration of uh, shepherds leading their sheep from the fields around their home and the, the, the journey through the season up to higher ground, they come across paths that diverge. There's always options on a, on a journey. And oftentimes their paths would be bordered by areas that they couldn't go, they shouldn't go. Um, and back in the ancient world, especially in ancient Israel, uh, they didn't have a whole lot of lumber for fences. Um, they certainly didn't have wire or those kinds of things. Um, and so it was known that there was a, if there was a pathway through your fields, that you stayed out of other people's fields, um, unless it was acceptable during uh, harvest time or something like that. So as a shepherd would be driving his sheep, he would be going through other people's lands and would need to keep those sheep boundaried uh, from areas that they couldn't go into. And it was purely by training, uh, by the leading that he gave, that kept the sheep out of those other, other zones. Um, you know, wheat fields or barley fields or whatnot, um, you don't want your sheep going in there. That's going to be a cost to the farmer and ultimately come back on you. Um, we call that trespassing when you're on somebody else's property. Uh, and that's another name for sin in Scripture. Um, when I was younger, uh, we, had, we had just moved up to the Olympic Peninsula from California. And um, I was mostly a city kid, kind of a neighborhood kid. I had no understanding of the out of doors outside of my own backyard. And when we moved up, uh, we had some things to work out with our home, so we were staying with some friends. And they lived in this valley in Squim, uh, up up in the the peninsula called Happy Valley. Uh, It was up a a little higher towards the mountains, but it was this great lush valley, and there was a lot of farming that happened in there. And to get from the bus stop where we got dropped off after school to our friend's house, you had to go down this long road. And it was at least a mile long and and took some turns. And there was one particular big L-bend in it that, um, you know, in a kid's mind, well, I don't want to walk all that. 
it's a whole lot quicker to cut the corner. And so we climbed through the fence and uh, started off on this field, through this field. And one of my friends, um, why they didn't say this at the outset, I don't know, told me about the bull that lived in that field <laughs> and how it didn't really like people. And, you know, as a, as a second grade kid, we started looking around and sure enough, here comes the bull over the hill. Now, there's not much more to the story. We just booked it out of there. Um, but that's one of those, those places where we trespassed and, and we weren't malicious in anything, um, but we weren't cognizant of possibly the no trespassing sign that was on the fence or uh, didn't, didn't recognize that there's, there could be some dire consequences for stepping over those bounds and into a place that, that something could happen we never, never anticipated. Wandering sheep are the same way. Um, there's, there's training to recognize the boundaries that right choices bring, those pathways through the unguarded fields. Um, and then there's another type of, of training that comes through hardship. And we'll get to that in a second. Uh, I wanted to talk for a second about uh, a friend of mine, Patty Ummel. Uh, I worked for the Boys and Girls Club before I ever came to the church here. And um, with a lot of the kids' programs, it gave us some time to connect with, with other staff members. And uh, we had one particular summer uh, where we had some really interesting staff. Patty was one of them. Uh, she was fresh out of high school, 17 or 18, and the epitome of innocence. Um, just a sweet, sweet kid. And there was another guy that worked, for, uh, worked with us as well, uh, and his name was Peter. And Peter was a complete and total heathen. Uh, absolutely, um, if there was some, some things to do that were unsavory, he would have done them. Uh, and this conversation between Patty and Peter would go on um, at length, uh, where, where Peter would be trying to encourage her to participate in things that were not what we would say are good. Um, and, and he would ridicule her for um, being a goody-two-shoes and not, not wanting to partake in some of those things. And um, I happened to be there uh, at one point when Patty finally had had enough. She mostly ignored him and, and reasoned out why she did things the way that she did. And, and she explained it to him in such a, a mature way. And it, it wasn't these exact words, but it was really, really close that uh, she explained that being innocent of sin doesn't mean ignorance. Um, you can be innocent, not participating in wrong, but you still have an understanding of the consequences had you chosen otherwise. Um, and Peter was always trying to get her to participate in something because she didn't even know if it was good or bad. Um, and that's a tremendous lie. And she pointed out that innocence um, doesn't mean ignorance. That you can, you can know the consequences of trespassing. You can know the consequences of sin um, and maintain your innocence. So this path of righteousness is along that line. Again, I said the, the paths diverge. There's another path, um, and, and I don't think people often look at it this way, but, but I see these two paths side by side because they're divided by a verse number. Um, we often look at them as separate. I see them as, as, contra- as contrasting paths. So uh, the next verse is 4a. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, one quick point, just slightly off topic. Um, up to this point in Psalm 23, 
David's been telling us about God. He's explaining him to us. He's talking to the people that are listening. This is what God is like. Uh, These are qualities of God. At this point, David turns from his audience and starts talking directly to God. Instead of the third person, he switches to the second person where he's talking directly to God. Um, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And his focus comes on God because uh, of anywhere that David lived within this verse or within, within Psalm 23, it was this verse. And we'll, we'll pick, apart, pick it apart here a little bit. Um, but it talks about fear uh, and fearing no evil. And, and obviously there's an absence of fear in the shepherds or in God's presence. It's kind of the idea that my dad can beat up your dad, right? Hey, you see he was with me? I don't have to be afraid. Um, and we, we look at this, at this verse typically that way. Um, but let's look at this valley, um, the valley of the shadow of death. Um, the Hebrew for, uh, word for uh, the valley of the shadow of death is salmaveth. And maveth it's itself, that portion of the word, is the root for death. Um, so whether or not it brings death exactly into the meaning of the word or it's just a, a dark and, and dreary valley, um, there's, there's that imagery uh, associated with it. So it's a dark death valley. And, and this particular word, they have a lot of different words for valleys. Uh, this particular word is specific to a ravine or a gorge. It's narrow and deep and dark. Um, it's different than a broad plain. And I think that's, that's important in terms of your visibility, um, your understanding of what consequences are, how far you can see in a deep ravine or gorge, um, particularly when it's dark, you could get hopelessly lost. You, you, there's dangers that lurk in those places um, that you would never want to go. Um, it also implies uh, despair and a lack of hope. And then I want to focus on the, the, the death itself um, in terms of being the valley of the shadow of death. Um, as I read this, again, as a, as a contrast to the paths of righteousness, the valley of the shadow of death um, death is a consequence for sin. Death is where God said, your own way doesn't work. You've chosen it instead of mine, and now we have to be separated by death. Um, death is a danger of sin and separation from God. And so when we talk about the valley of the shadow of death, certainly there is the, the dark night of the soul part to it, where, boy, I, you know, I'm going through some really depressing and, and difficult times. But I think there's another aspect to it, too, in that um, the valley of the shadow of death, in contrast to the paths of righteousness, is when we, when we make a choice to go down that path into the valley where sin and the consequences of sin reside. that we've chosen, instead of training to recognize the boundaries that right choices bring, that we've tra- we're, we're being trained through hardship. And God can still use those things. Um, dangers hide in those valleys. It's easy to become separated and devoured, uh, just like it is in life. Um, the picture of the valley of the shadow of death that I, that I love the most, I don't know if you've had a chance to read Pilgrim's Progress. 
Um, it's a little bit of an archaic book, uh, but it's fantastic. We had a chance to um, go through a study of it uh, with our kids, and um, it's difficult because it's in Old English, um, but it is so fantastic in the portrayal of uh, these, these places as physical places. It, it just gives you the visual image. Um, and David, as the writer, um, again, focusing specifically on this verse where he turns to God, he walked through some really dark valleys. We talked about um, the episode of Bathsheba last week where um, he did some of the worst things people could do. And then, and then even other times where um, issues with his family and things where sin, he was succumbing to sin, the temptation of sin, and it was dragging him away. But even in the midst of, of being drug away by sin, there's this, there's this weird thing that happens that um, God is holy and, and we're separated from him by sin because sin can't exist with God. And yet, at the same time, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit in us, God present in us. And as we participate in sin, he's, he's there with us. And so there's this, this crazy um, opposites that are both true. Um, God was with David through all of these times, but he also marked David for repentance. And r- repentance is a key piece of who David was and God's pleasure with him. Um, that righteousness we talked about before um, was in spite of some of our, our Bible heroes' own character. Now, I'm not saying in, in this, uh, just, just a, a caveat, that the valley of the shadow of death being uh, a source of sin doesn't mean that if you are going through a dark time, that you ha- if you ha- are having the struggles of health or, or pain or despair or suffering, those things, that that necessarily means that you've sinned. That's not what I'm saying at all, and I want to keep that completely separate and clear. Uh, my sister-in-law um, had uh, terminal cancer, um, and a couple of years ago, uh, she was talking with us about uh, even even close friends that were Christians that um, would follow the the line of questioning in Job and and ask her, um, you know, what did, what did you do to God to have this health issue happen? And if you if you if you just repented, if you could figure out what it is you'd done wrong, that 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 would probably heal you. And and that that is so misguided and mistaken. Um, so I, I don't want to even even approach those those things that that um, the valley of the shadow of death we often see as a dark dark time. Um, it's the the pathway of sin that leads us down is what I'm referring to. That's that's different than um, just having a, a a sickness or a disease or something like that. So I just want to make sure that those are separate. So moving on in, in verse 4b, um, my favorite place in this entire uh, passage, uh, 4b, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I don't know, when you read this, if you're um, astounded like I am, like, this is so opposite human nature. Um, how many of you guys that have kids, how many of your kids have come back to you after some serious discipline and said, Mom, Dad, I really feel comforted by you. 
These, the, the rod and the staff, um, the, the staff is a little bit more obvious, right? It's the, the shepherd's cane with the, with the hook on it. And, and they can use the, the staff to um, uh, hook sheep and, and guide them back to where they, they need to be. I, I've seen sheep that have been kind of hooked around the neck and they use it as a, a, a pole to, to keep the sheep in place while they're shearing it. Uh, they can lift a, a young lamb over an obstacle. Um, it's it's a, a tool for merciful guidance. The rod's a little bit different. Um, the rod is protection for the sheep. Um, it's it's probably yay big. Um, uh, definitely not as as long as the staff is, but it's much thicker. It's kind of what we would call a, a skinny club. Uh, it's usually got a knob on the end, and a shepherd would use it as a protection tool. Um, so when David fought the lion and the bear, um, he was undoubtedly using his sling, but also the rod. Uh, they would throw it even uh, to get the maximum um, impact out of it. So there's, there's the protection side, but they also used it with their sheep. And when the, the shepherd's crook wasn't enough, when that, that merciful guidance wasn't getting a sheep's attention, and let's be honest, as sheep, we don't often um, adhere to the merciful guidance. It takes a little bit more to get our attention. Um, it, would, it would escalate into painful correction. And they would use the rod um, on their, their back legs or on their back um, and give it a, a swift whack to get some immediate response there. So when we look at these two things, the rod and the staff, uh, you have painful correction and merciful guidance. Both of those things are discipline. And yet David says, they comfort me. Um, Again, I don't, I don't know many people that are comforted by correction and guidance, especially when there's pain involved. Um, when I was a kid, um, my mom would spank us. Um, she kind of had to because um, we wouldn't really uh, bend to anything else. So she carried, especially for, uh, for trips that we would take outside of the house, she carried a wooden spoon in her purse. Um, no, it wasn't that bad. Um, we actually, uh, we were, we were, we were enough that, that she would break the spoon oftentimes on us and we would laugh. And so there wasn't a lot of correction that came from the wooden spoon. Um, so she gave that up and, um, she never had to use this, but, but she started carrying in her purse one of those wooden garden stakes. Um, no, this sounds pretty heavy duty. But again, we kind of needed that kind of correction. Um, and at one point, um, we, uh, we fished it out of her purse. And again, this is the type of kids we were and why we needed this. Uh, my brother and I, um, we got some, some red markers and, and colored blood all over it to uh, really make it a little more dramatic. Uh, but she had written on this wooden stake. Uh, sorry, this sounds horrible. Uh, my mom will hate me for, for framing this in this way, but um, she had written on the stake um, these words, and you can flip it over um, to get the full text, but it was, uh, doing all things in love for my favorite kids. Yeah, uh, it's a wooden stake, but um, 
but she was drawing a very clear and, and, and obvious correlation between the discipline she was giving and her love for us. And as kids, we didn't see it that way. Um, if it hurt, it was bad. Uh, if it didn't, that was good. Um, and so when we look at the, the rod and the staff, they comfort me. David is recognizing that thing that my mom was recognizing that we didn't see that... Um, that there is love in that correction, that, that it's caring, that it's closeness, um, and that it's for her own good. Um, there's a lot of, a, a lot of um, uh, illustrations of uh, sheep being corrected, but um, really this passage, when it talks about comfort um, and what that comfort is, it's alluding to a consolation over sorrow. Um, and it signifies that repentance is accepted. So when the rod and the staff, they comfort him, um, when, when God's correction comforts us, it's because he accepts us as we repent. And, and again, that's a hallmark of who David was. Second Corinthians uh, goes on with, with the idea of comforting uh, and says, Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort from which we ourselves are comforted by God. And that's a lot of words to say that, that even though God it, it can sometimes bring about that discomfort, uh, that correction, that he is there to walk with us and comfort us um, and accept our repentance and that we can even share that with others. That our comfort can become comfort for others. So, to start to wrap up here, um, uh, as Steve would say, I have a couple of meddling questions uh, based on these couple of verses here. Uh, we talked about faith. Uh, we talked about the importance of trusting the shepherd um, in following those pathways and, and the pathways we choose, whether it's a, a pathway of righteousness and right choices and the training that comes from that or a pathway of, of difficulty and darkness um, that were shaped by the negatives on those experiences, um, it all does come back to trust. How do we trust God? So uh, my first question, how far do you trust God? Do you only trust him to come through with the things that you want? or that you identify as needs? Does your trust extend to following him where you may not want to go? Those paths of righteousness, they can cramp our style and and seem overly restrictive. Question two, what type of pathways have you traveled? Righteousness or valleys? Most of us there's probably a little of both, maybe more of one than the other. Um, but do your experiences illustrate God's care in both of those pathways? I know mine don't always seem like they do going through it, but on reflection, I can see the hand of God in the pathways that I've traveled. And last question, and I apologize for the contrast there, but it says, do you appreciate consequences and discipline? You recognize the love there. Um, when we have to go through some, some struggles and God corrects us um, and sets us on that right path, are we appreciative? Do we, do we recognize that 
He only does that because he loves us and there's deep care and concern present in that. Uh, I'm going to call the worship team back up um, as I conclude. And uh, I also want to call the ushers forward. I've got, got some things for you. So I talked a little bit about David's uh, construction of the Psalms and, and how he goes about uh, praising God in the Psalms and how he can pour out his, his genuine concerns and genuine struggles to God and yet at the end of the day he comes back to who God is. Um, I do this with kids, um, so it may be a little hokey for you, but uh, I really love this kind of stuff. It's a chance for you, get, for you to, be, um, to respond um, to kind of the things that we've been talking about um, and write your own psalm. So on it, um, there are some headings. Uh, for example, my first one is, Lord, you have always, and you can list something underneath it that God has done for you. Uh, and then it says, when I, and you can list an action that you may regret. And then it says, you, and it's a place you can share how God showed you mercy. And then you are forever, and we can put one of God's unchanging qualities there. And then I will, and that's your response to him today. What, what is it? What is it that you're going to do? So mine looks like this as I wrote, wrote it out. Um, and it, it could be simple. It can be eloquent, whatever. Lord, you have always pursued me regardless of my lack of pursuit of you. When I treat others in an unloving way, you still show me your love and mercy. You are forever patient with my frailty. I will set aside my own flawed motives and love others like you love me. And there's a, a neat poetry to it that... Um, it's, a, it's just a, an easy little construction um, and uh, makes kind of a neat little prayer. So um, hopefully that's something that resonates with you. Um, but it's a great way to pray too um, in the way that David has shown us. So let me close it with this. Sheep have their strengths and weaknesses just as we do. They can be infuriating in their disobedience and amazing in their qualities. Their longevity and the fulfillment of their purpose for the shepherd is entirely dependent on the level of trust they display, actual following to their shepherd. May we be known for our faith in the Lord and how he is able to accomplish much, not in spite of us, but because we cooperate with him. Thank you.